Today on the show we have a truly talented individual who served in the Marine Corps for around 22 years and on various deployments abroad and he basically taught himself to make movies and now he's an award-winning screenwriter and he's going to share a lot of the tricks of the trade and his experience in this podcast. So please welcome Michael Droberg. What's wrong? Said you fixed her arm, you'll be okay. It didn't work. You have to leave. Why do we have to leave? I can't go with you. I'm changing into one of those things. I made a big mistake. Shouldn't have let them go. I want to thank Colin Heaton from Heaton Lewis Books for supporting the show. Colin is an author, historian and consultant to the TV and film industry and has amazing wartime historical film production projects in process. I also want to thank Kevin and Sam Sorbo from Sorbo Studios for supporting the show. Sorbo Studios is producing some amazing family-friendly and faith-based movies with Kevin and Sam's decades-long experience in the industry. You can find out more at sorbostudios.com. Hey Michael, how you doing? Good man, pleasure to be here. Are you based in North Carolina at the moment? Yes, North Carolina, USA. Okay, I just, the more I find out, find out about you, the more fascinating your story is. So before we start talking about the, the process of making movies, I just want to talk about how you transitioned from the army into uh, film production. So on you go. Well, it was actually uh, the Marine Corps. Um, I did 22 years in the Marine Corps. I joined when I was uh, 17. And due to injuries, I uh, had to retire at 39. So I did 22 years. And to be honest, it, it was uh, I, I was in a dark place after I retired because I was kind of like lost. You know, you you had uh, people you were in charge with, people rely on you for decisions. And going from that to nobody cares anymore about what you think or what you're doing. So it, it was very hard for me. Uh, but fortunately. I found writing as a way to relax my mind and and um, just ease into the civilian world. So that's that's one of the reasons why I started writing. What was it you were doing in the military, if you can share? I was in maintenance and logistics. Um, so my shop, my last shop before I retired, we were in charge of fixing communications equipment for different units uh, to make sure you know communications was up. And we were in charge of fixing radar too for. Uh, artillery systems. So really nothing to do with writing. It was very technical uh, and logistical in nature. And so what was it about writing that you found relaxing for your mind? I mean, I'm a very imaginative person. You know, life is, life is hard. Uh, situations are hard. Um, you know, I had gotten injured. Um, and at the same time, my youngest son, Samuel, he was born with Down syndrome. So that was very depressing to me. Um, so I just needed a way to just get my mind off things here. And um, I don't know, did you want me to talk about the story I told you previously? or? Yeah, let's do it briefly. Then we'll, then we'll probably do a more in-depth podcast on it. Because I want to I try expand on those thought processes more. Because I guess that's a lot, what a lot of people go through in life. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Um, so... You know, read. Some people read. Some people watch TV. Some people play video games to get their minds off things. Uh, and me, I just found writing kind of put me in an imaginary world and a different place. Um, 
so basically that's how that's how I started writing and from there I started I just started envisioning scenes like how, how do you write a scene uh, for a movie because the formatting for a book uh, versus screenwriting is completely different um, so I just started doing research and eventually I wrote my my first screenplay so did you write any fiction before the screenplay no, I really no. I I mean, I wrote a, lo- a lot of awards in the military, a lot of technical uh, writings as far as equipment and uh, processes, how to fix things. Um, but no, but in 2016, when I retired, that was really the first time I did creative writing. Um, so it was a, it's been a, a trial by fire. I see you've been working with Colin Heaton. Is does he write screenplays as well, or is he just his story? No, he's a historian. Um, he just writes books, history books. So uh, that's why we, we got together because he was looking for a screenwriter to take his book and turn it into a screenplay, which I did uh, for him on the Star of Africa. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying trying to write an audio drama. Um, there's audio books which are un- unabridged, for example, the Dune series on Audible, and then there's like pure audio drama, which, for example, would be something like Sayer. On, on iTunes where you basically don't have any narration, but I found that um, for what I'm trying to write and uh, I'm trying to do a mixture of audio drama and uh, and uh, basically narration, and, and, and I agree with what you're saying with like, it makes your mind relaxing in a sense that when you're writing something, I find it's almost better than watching a movie because you're sort of in the side, the, the, the creative process. And it's even more exciting than say writing uh, or reading a book where you're reading someone else's writing and putting that down on, 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 onto your mind canvas and, and experiencing it. When you're actually creating something, it's it's in a different level to, to even just watching movies or reading someone else's books. Yeah, for sure, because you're, you're in control of the story. So you're, you're in control of the hero, you're in control of the villain, um, the situation at hand. So it, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. I enjoy it very much. I even now, uh, I enjoy reading screenplays um, more than watching a movie and, and if it's a good screenplay uh for example the book of eli uh, with denzel washington uh, that's one of my favorite movies but the screenplay by gary Whitta, i mean there's details in the screenplay that are not in the movie that it's just i, I like the screenplay much better than the actual movie you know is there a, a version i can download of that or even an audible version because i don't really like reading too much because my eyes get tired just because sure. I'm, not, I'm programming all day long. Uh, I don't know. I never looked into it. I'm sure uh, it's possible. I'm sure if you looked into it, there's it's probably niche though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of niche. Yeah. Sometimes I get my iPhone to just like talk to me when it's, when you have like a book that you don't want to, to read, like for example, Amazon Prime, you want to be cheap and don't buy the audiobook. You can just like tell your iPhone to read it for you. Another thing that I find with like writing though is like it's sometimes it's hard to make an investment in that storyline because you're worried that it's going to change down the road and it's kind of hard to undo that. It's not like programming where you can sort of revert code quite easily. If you have like a plot, one thing that I get I get afraid of is if I invest this amount of time in a plot and then later on I don't um I want to reverse it, it's going to be I'm going to waste all that work. So how do you balance writing versus not writing because you want to make sure you've got all the things correct and the plot sequenced. <clears throat> well, 
So you got to do your homework first uh, before you, like you said, invest all this time writing a story that may not pan out or make sense in your mind. But after, you know, you put it down on paper, maybe it doesn't make sense. So there's a really good book if, if you're interested in screenwriting. And it's the best book, in my opinion. It's called um, Save the Cat by Blake Snyder. Save the Cat. Just typing that in there. Save the Cat, the last book on screenwriting you'll ever need. And, you know, I've, I've only read maybe three or four books on screenwriting, so, you know, I'm definitely not an expert on what's the best resource, but to me, I found that book extremely helpful, and I use it every time. There's a, there's a part in the book that talks about a beat sheet, and basically it's – I mean, well, I got it right in front of me. It's got uh, – 15, 15 story beats that pretty much every good story has these beats. Um, so for example, the first beat, the first beat is, you know, opening image, right? So if you're, if you're starting out with a horror, for example, you know, you want to start off with a scary house or you know, a monster or, or whatever, you're not going to start off with um, a cat meowing, you, you know, with, his, with, well, I guess you could do that too, but, but depends how you film it. But, you know, so if you're writing action, you want to start off with an action scene or, or something like that. If you're writing a drama, it's going to be sad and slow. So it starts off opening image, the theme stated, what is the theme of your movie? Is it revenge? Is it uh, action adventure? Is it um, redemption? You know, stuff like that. And, and, and this book breaks it down for you and, you can pretty much use it for any genre. And as long as you have most of those beats, your story will pan out. That's what I've found at least. Does, does that work the same way for like, um, like a 10 part series or would it be more for like a 90 minute feature film? It's mostly for feature film. I mean, I've written TV pilots as well, but, but TV pilots is kind of different. Um, You have to think, you have to think, think a bigger picture with the series because one episode has to lead to the next, right? To the next, to the next. So if you're writing, let's say a mini series of 10 episodes, you have to do a lot more planning because episode one has to make sense all the way up to episode number 10. Right. So uh, to me, writing for TV is a lot more difficult unless, unless, you know, you're writing something that it doesn't really, it's not episodic, meaning uh, episode one really, could be standalone to episode two it doesn't really matter you know does that make sense yeah yeah i'm just trying to process in my mind all these different permutations so like when you when you i'm looking at your website right now it's um you've you've got on there like some awards award-winning writer so how do you you get from the point where you said i want to start writing screenplays to 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 a winning, winning awards. Well, so the first screenplay I wrote was called the 12, um, which is, was about the apostles post Jesus Christ, right after he left this earth. Then the next one, someone said, well, you know, you have a pretty interesting story. You have, um, you did 22 years in the Marine Corps. You have a son with Down syndrome. <clears throat> so why don't you write about that? So that, that's what I did. I wrote a screenplay called my son, Sam, which was a fictionalized version of my life. And, you know, raising a kid with Down syndrome. Um, and I just entered that into a contest to see 
how I did. I entered into Scriptapalooza, I think in 2017, yeah, 2017 or 18. And I ended up placing top 10 out of 3,400. So from that moment on, I, I uh, decided, well, maybe this is not just a hobby. Maybe this is something I should pursue. And that's pretty much from that point when I took screenwriting serious and started, you know, doing it full time. So that's 3,400. Uh, what part of the States is that? Uh, I think it's an international contest. So really? uh, anybody anybody could have entered. So 3,400 screenplays, that's that's about how many years would it take to get through that if it was all movies? Oh, a long time. 10 years, <laughs> 10 yeah. years worth of, yeah. of films and you, you won yeah. the, what, what was the top 10 you got? Top ten. I'm sure they had a lot of judges, not just uh, one guy reading them all. So. And, and that did you? And you you made number what? Number one or number ten? Number ten. Number ten. Number ten. Yeah. That's that's good, man. That's that's. Uh, well, what do I know about screenwriting competitions? But it's it's impressive, anyway. And what was that book that you won for that? It was what called book? My Son Sam. It was about My Son uh, Sam. About a, a marine that got out and was raising his son with Down syndrome. So it was loosely, loosely, very loosely based off my life, very loosely. So cool. So, what's the the biggest project you're you're trying to work on now or get investment for now? <clears throat> uh, I guess Star of Africa is because we have uh, actors like uh, John Connie and uh, Eric Bana interested. You know, I don't I don't have any A list actors attached to any of my other projects. So, I guess that would be the biggest one right now that's got. A lot of hope, um, but you know, seems like funding is always the stopping point. Um, and Corona, you know, didn't help things. So, but I'm hopeful about this one. We got a lot of interest. It's going under a rewrite right now with another screenwriter. Um, so we'll see. And that and that happens a lot too. Uh, this is the second project where I wrote the first draft, and then a producer likes it. He likes the idea. He likes the writing. But then he's going to take it to his people, and usually they have their own screenwriter. And that person's going to tweak it or change it a little bit. And I, I'm not insulted by that. that. That's the way it works. You know, um, screenplays and movies are very subjective. So, um, you know, it seems like that's the nature of the business. Is there any, like, information on the amount of money that's being involved in the whole worldwide entertainment movie industry? Is it the same as it is, like, in terms of adjusted for inflation as it was in the 90s? Or is there more money? I, I couldn't. Difficult I question, Johnson. Yeah, I, I think you know the big studios. You're talking about hundred, uh, two hundred million, and then independence is five to ten million. So the the range is so vast. I really couldn't answer that. If it was the same amount of money that was in the say the nineties and you know noughties, it seems like there'd be a lot less money per project because right now there's just so much content being produced. I mean, you could literally go on to Amazon Prime and watch fresh content 24 hours a day and you, you wouldn't get through it. I mean, maybe right. not 24 hours a day, but you could certainly like watch like four or five hours a night of something and, and you then you would you never have to watch it twice. But when like when I was younger, like we'd, we'd watch movies like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. You know, I think I'd watched Independence Day like 15 times. I pretty much knew every line. Like Batman Forever was one of the movies I watched. Like, because basically you'd be a bit naughty and you'd record it off of like some TV program or someone else's one. And and you would, um, you'd, 
you wouldn't have like a streaming service and you wouldn't have the money because I we grew up really, really poor, so I couldn't really afford to rent maybe. So I just ended up watching, I have a little collection of 20, 20 bootlegged um, or recorded off the TV uh, movies that I watched again and again and again. But now it's just unbelievable the amount of content you have, you know, and, and really high quality content. Yeah, Netflix and Amazon and Hulu, all, I mean, all those people are streaming, streaming services are changing the game. I mean, I, I don't think the theaters are ever going to bounce back. I mean, maybe they will a little bit, but not to the level they used to be. I mean, people with Corona, with the price of tickets, uh, people just rather watch it, watch it at their home TV, you know, which is good for the writers because they're, like you said, there's all these channels and they, and they need content. They need new content. Um, so it's not like back in the 90s where maybe there was only two, I mean, 10 to 20 movies released a month, you know, for theatrical purposes. Now, uh, I mean, every month there's probably hundreds that need, you know, channels need. I, I just don't see how if you have the, I mean, I guess I could Google like, you know, the amount of money in the film industry, but it just seems like there's less money per project. It just seems logical to me, the amount of content that's being produced. I think that's what Doug Routh told me in my first interview with him for this podcast. But then again, I guess you also have um, ways to reduce the costs on certain things. So for example, it's cheaper to make music now because we have VSTs in amazing things that you can produce just like one one musician can sit and compose this stuff and uh, it's it's bad for the actual real musicians because there's less work for them you know like unless they're really performing live a lot and i guess with also cgi costs are coming down with with that um i think you only had one cgi guy work on your one of your projects just one guy and that's a was that enough for a feature was it uh that was for a short film mm. actually my first short film Dark Covenant, which is a sci-fi horror. I used Fiverr to find my uh, special effects guys, and I probably went through three or four just because they were not reliable. But then finally I found a kid out of France, and he did a really good job, and I stuck with him until the end. Um, but unfortunately, he's a student, so I can't. I, he, he doesn't have time anymore, so I, I had to find somebody else for my new new projects. But yeah, I mean, like, so The Mandalorian. Are you familiar with The Mandalorian? <laughs> Nope. It's a Star Wars spinoff on Disney Disney Plus, but I think, uh, I mean, the majority of the movies film or the show is filmed inside of a studio. So it, it's pretty amazing what they can do now with technology. It must be quite competitive to capture people's attention because people are kind of spoiled with this sort of amazingly rendered, high quality, seamless special effects and if you're coming in how do you get your content up there to if you don't have that kind of budget for sfx so i i do i do a lot of the work myself uh which is fortunate uh, as far as saving me costs but unfortunately for people got to watch me uh, on the screen uh i mean uh so this new project i'm doing uh doomsday chronicles i built the robot suit i play the robot I also played one of the rebel soldiers. So basically I killed myself in the movie uh, just with two different shots. So I do the editing myself. Um, I find the music score. So really, and I do a lot of the VFX myself too. I have another producer who does the more complicated VFX and uh, I have a cameraman that I'm partnered with uh, 
but other than that, I, I do a lot of the work myself just to save money uh, in order, in efforts to try to put out a better pro- um, project. So is the is the aim to be more like getting more screen writing or you wanting to do more movie production or you wanting to do like a mixture of them? I, I was, so I've been writing for five years at the time and I placed uh, pretty highly in several contests and still nobody was knocking on my door saying, Hey, Mike Drober, we want, we want you to work for us. So I, I got very frustrated and I, I got to a point where I said, well, what the hell with it? I'm just going to try to produce my own work myself. So right. that's when we did, we did Dark Covenant um, last year in October. And, you that's, know, it's not the greatest, that, but it had a budget of less than 10,000. Uh, it's my first film. Uh, there's a lot that needs improved, but um, as long as I'm learning every every project and getting better, I'm happy. So that covenant is that. Where, where can people watch that? It's on our YouTube channel. Um, our YouTube channel is Tenth Legion Pictures, and um, there's two trailers on there. There's a there's a ten minute um, short film version, and there's a thirteen minute pilot episode version. So they're right. all on my YouTube channel. And where do people get access to the feature length version of it? There, there is no. I haven't done any features yet. Right, I got you. I'm, I'm just working on shorts. The goal is by next year to do a feature, but right now, um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of kinks in my directing skills and my cameraman's photography skills. So we got to sort all that out first before we take on something big like that. I, I guess in the industry, it must be quite unusual for people to be able to do all of those different skill sets at once. If there is a person like that, it exists. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure film students and, and uh, there's probably been a lot of up-and-comers that that don't have a budget that did those things. But, you know, I was a, I was an avid, before I got married, I was an avid uh, model builder. So that helped me build that suit because I had a lot of skills as far as painting and modeling um, that I used to build the, the robot suit um, in Doomsday Chronicles. So... And I'm 44. I'm not a young guy, so I have a lot of life experience. Uh, like I said, when I was in the Marine Corps, uh, I was in maintenance, so I know how to fix stuff. Um, so a lot of those things came came into fruition and been helpful. Do you have like a, that robot lying around your room or somewhere, or a picture of it you can hold up? Uh, it's it's on my website as well. Uh, I have it in the garage. So all right, okay. I can send you after some pictures. Yeah, yeah. I'll 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 put it on as an edit. Um, and that that suit was it made with metal or you made it look like metal i made it look like metal it's it's eva foam and plastic and how did you sculpt that and paint it uh a lot of research again a lot of research i found some that seems like a very niche skill as well (laughs) yeah yeah actually um i watched a lot of like cosplay type videos and um i found a template from somebody that's a cosplay person and that's how I built the torso. Then another guy found the helmet. <clears throat> and then I think the legs and the arm pieces, I, I just did it myself, figured it out myself. And does that have any mechanical or electronic components to it? It's got a chest piece that lights up, which is just uh, simple batteries. Um, and the eyes light up too, but I didn't use the eyes because I couldn't see. I couldn't see out of it. It was really difficult to see as it is out of it. Um, yeah. And then when I had the LEDs on, I couldn't see anything. So 
we decided to take the LEDs out of the eyes pieces and just do the uh, eyes in post-production. And how did you see out of it when you had this costume on? It was like looking out of like like tiny window. I mean, I had to have my <laughs> um, director of photography guide me basically uh, because I couldn't see anything. I couldn't hear anything. I, told you, I had to tell him, hey, you got to yell. I can't hear you. So, uh, yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. And was but it really I, warm inside? Oh, I was sweat. It was, you know, we did this about a month ago. We filmed it and I was just soaking wet. Soaking wet. So I got to find a young guy to play the robot so I don't have to do it again. And how, and how many um, scenes did you have? We f- we only filmed for uh, maybe four or five hours. It, w- it was five scenes, but my director of photography has a drone. So we, we try to do a lot of dynamic shots. Um, he's got a drone. He's got a GoPro. He's, you know, we had cameras on uh, tripods. So we just, cause it's an action movie. So we tried every couple seconds to change the shot. Um, so it looks more exciting, you know? So you're, you're filming with multiple cameras at once. Yep. Yep. Versus TV acting where you basically will repeat the scene from different angles. Um, well, we or, did a lot of that too. Uh, so, you know, the runtime when we're done is probably only going to be five to seven minutes, and we we shot like I said for four or five hours. So, um, yeah. So that's how it works usually. Yeah, I did that. I did a eight week course in London for screen acting. Um, I guess I had too much money floating around. I just thought I went into this one thing on uh, it was Eventbrite and it was free. And it's Doug Rao did it, and I basically acted as a policeman. I really enjoyed it, so I basically forked out the money and did this this acting course. And and I really found it fascinating because we did different things each week. Um, we had one week where we were basically learning about microphones, and cameras, and camera angles, and different. And then we had different different types of acting, like relationships, and then there was like more like this procedural stuff, like police going through. Um, because Doug Rao worked in the Bell, which is a British. A sitcom in the, in the 90s, noughties maybe. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm really interested in just everything to do with it, the process. So that's why interviewing people like yourself, Kevin Sorbo, Doug Rao, Colin, it's really, really fascinating for me. Genuinely, I'm, I'm, I'm not just doing this for for like getting views. I'm actually learning a lot. And that's one of the reasons why a podcast is so great because you get to talk to experts um, that want to share their stuff while learning. So it's it's mutually beneficial and also you get you get your work out there as well so um so like this this um robot what what does it actually do in the the, the short so basically the first the first episode is, is about the robot establishing himself um so doomsday chronicles is kind of like terminator 2 Except, except we won. So in Terminator, the robots, artificial intelligence basically defeated mankind, right? And, and now they're jumping back and forth to the future to try to stop it. But in Doomsday Chronicles, we, we defeat the robot, the robots, the artificial intelligence, and basically it shows mankind restarting after they defeated AI. So the first episode is just showing the robot killing the resistance fighters and then he gets disabled at the end and that's how the first episode ends the next episode is going to show 
a scientist finding the robot and basically reprogramming it to take care of his children. So I don't want to give too much away, but th- that's the gist of it. It's kind of like a PG version of Terminator 2, not as not as dark, um, a little more lighthearted. And does this robot fire guns? Yes, he's got a laser gun. I uh, I stole one of my kids' Nerf uh, Nerf guns, and I just repainted it. And um, I can send you a picture too. But I think it looks pretty good. It looks pretty realistic. I put a scope on it. Um, it, it looks pretty nice. Uh, I like I like Nerf rivals. I usually go when I go to Scotland. I've got some mates, and we get the Nerf rivals, and we run around the park, and we have one or two kids there that they're your know, children, so that they doesn't look like a bunch of adults running around with guns, you know, <laughs> make right, it legal, right. you know. Yeah, yeah, they look really futuristic. I, I like them. Nerf did a good job. So, so when 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 you're doing special effects, obviously we can see this gun firing lasers and things. How do you get the angle of the gun to shoot the laser in a way that the laser looks like it's firing off at the same direction as the gun's pointing. I mean, in in I use a uh, Filmora X as a editing software, which is not the best. The best What's is it called? Uh, Filmora. And you're going to say After Effects, I think. No, Filmora X or Filmora Ten. Filmora X, okay. Versus what else? Well, I, I mean, Adobe Premiere is the you know, professional high grade stuff, but I, I've tried to use that and it was just too complicated for me. So I've stuck with Filmora. Oh, it's it's free. I think the tr- I think you can test it out for free, but after thirty days, I think you have to pay. I think I paid um, hundred dollars a year to use it, which is still cheap compared to other other programs. And that can do lasers firing out the same direction as the guns pointing. No, I mean, you have to download the software, right? Like, so I go to, uh, let me see. Um, you have to download the software and then put it into your... Okay, so there's a there's a site called Footage Crate. And they have a lot of... Um, they have a lot of green screen and um, different effects you can download for free. So you download whatever you're looking for, and then you import it into your video editing software. Right, right. So I would take the gun and I would go like this, so pretend like I had a recoil, and then I'd plug in the the laser gun effect on top. So really, you much would, how it did. I need to I need to um, do a little like screen share with you at some point just to figure just to show me some of the tricks of the trade there. I was looking. At, uh, I've got final. I've got Final Cut Pro. And I was looking at some of the plugins for that, and like they're ridiculously good. Like I saw a plugin where you could basically have a, like a three D moving around on a, over the scenery, and they had text that was sort of pinned to the th- actual three D location. It would have been uh, on the so, for example, if you're flying by a, by, by a bridge, you could mm-hmm. like the program would look at the bridge and, and turn it into a three D object, and you could map text to this bridge, a- animated text. So you basically flying by this bridge and you see this sort of text as an, it's almost like a billboard. And that was like a, a, that's a pro plugin, but I mean, just like, it looked so like, it wasn't just like having like a, a, an alpha text on top of the picture. It was embedded in, in there. And I was like, it it looked as good as it would have been done by on like Netflix or on a big budget movie. Uh, If you want to have like animated text, you know, like, um, like that kind of deal. 
Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, this, the resources available for the the layman today uh, is pretty amazing. I mean, just like you described. So, I mean, there's there's a scene in uh, Doomsday Chronicles where uh, one of the rebels blows up. I try to do it myself, but it looked terrible. So, I have a guy named um, Thiago de Souza. He's a producer on the project, and he's also a VFX artist. So, complicated stuff like that. I just say, hey man, you got to do it because when I do, it looks like crap. So, yeah, I saw this scene where you had a fire, and something exploded, and the fire was on like the ground, like it was burning up the ground, and it didn't look yeah. like it was overlaid. It looked like it was like fire on the scene. I was like, how did yeah, you do he that? Did that. <laughs> yeah, he did that. He did a great job. Yep. Yeah, and do you know what software you used for that? Uh yeah, he uses Adobe Premiere. Um, and I think I'm sure some other stuff, but I know he uses Adobe Premiere. And that's that's probably a plugin for the fire effect. Yep. Yep. And do you know if like big budget movies will use things like that for fire effects, or do they have like their own custom software? I know like Pixar has Renderman, which they wrote themselves, but I wonder how many big budget movies use like off the shelf self software like Adobe. Uh, I'm sure like Marvel, they have their own VFX studio that has, you know, they created their own stuff. Um, same with Disney. It looks, you know, good for, for an indie film, but you know, for the level of money they're spending, I'm sure they, their VFX artists create those effects themselves. They, I mean, I don't know, maybe they're using templates and stock stuff, but, but I doubt it. I wonder, I wonder how how these skills can transfer from... So say you're a VFX artist and you're using Maya. Well, Maya is more like 3D animation. Um, like you, you can learn a tool really, really well. and But then if that tool goes out of fashion, then you basically have to sort of retrain. But I guess a lot of the skills you can sort of sort of pull over. Because like with software development, um, I use something called WebStorm. And then a lot of people use Visual Studio Code by Microsoft. But... I sort of get really, really good with WebStorm and all the shortcuts to do all things quickly. Whereas with Visual Code, I'd have to sort of relearn it. But with Visuals, with something like when you're using a tool for a VSFX program, then it seems like it, they can be so like niche that it may be hard to, to sort of retrain. And that's 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 why I think as a career, it's sometimes kind of hard, you know, because like these people want like experience in those 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 really really niche niche programs. But that that's I guess if you're want to do that full time you know right yeah i mean if 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 i want to focus on vfx i would probably use train myself to use um adobe adobe not filmora because adobe definitely has a lot more bells and whistles and you know that that as far as i understand that's the industry standard so yeah and, and have you have you um heard of um after i think after effects is by adobe as well right yes yep yep and so what's the difference between Premiere Pro and After Effects? I couldn't tell you, man. I couldn't tell you. I, I, yeah, I don't know what. Premiere Pro is basic editing. I don't, I don't know if After Effects has like three more 3D models or, you know, I, I couldn't tell you. I think, it's probably, I think it's probably just like the level of stuff you can do. Because I, I played around with After Effects a little bit and it's sort of like Flash where you have timelines for different effects and so i think with if you know after effects you can do pretty much anything you want customizable but with um plugins like for example final cut pro or premiere then you can probably just use off the shelf things um 
So I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if After Effects is that much in demand now because in some some of these plugins are just ridiculously good for for Premiere Pro and, and um, Final Cut. <sighs> but I, I don't think I'm, I would be in, in too interested in doing special effects for my videos because it's not really that I, I do enough programming that it's like I, I would rather be creative. So. Um, do you do you see yourself being more towards technical side of tools in the future, or just more? Would you rather just do writing screenplays? No, yeah, I'd I'd rather just write, write, and maybe direct. Uh, I'd rather be the behind the camera guy than in front of the camera. And you know, to be great at anything, you need to put in a lot of time. So, yeah, I got my hands right now into too much stuff just because I don't have really a budget. Um, but there are people that can do special effects much better than I can. So in the future, I would like to release, you know, re- release stuff and just focus on writing and directing, you know? Yeah. I think that's a dream because I, I would love to be able to just to talk and then the podcast would be up. Right. But people don't realize when you're in a podcast, you have the half an hour of talking and the 10 hours of editing later on, you know, to get the thing out there, you know, like, or even 20 yeah. hours once. Um, but it is what it is, man. We, we are creators, and we have to do be jack of all trades, you know, for a while. Yeah, no, or just like um, Doomsday Chronicles, like I said, we just we filmed it about two, three weeks ago, four or five hours, and we've been going on three weeks now. And it's only half of the editing's done, so editing takes a long time. So, like when you're doing the editing on like um, Final Cut Pro, do you, do you actually do it yourself some of the editing? I do the main editing and then, like I said, I'm working with a VFX guy. So I'll, I'll do a sequence. I'll say, Hey, I would like this next um, sequence to look like this, but then I'll leave it. I'll give him all the raw files and I'll say, but I'll leave it up to your discretion. You know, you, you pick the sequence length and how you want it to make the effect look good. Like right now, actually he's working. Uh, Colin was in the movie. Um, he played a bazooka man. Uh, so that's the scene we're working on right now. Colin fires a missile at the robot and then he gets vaporized. So um, that's what the guy's working on. After I've been looking at how to, to edit multicam footage and um, before I was using Final Cut Pro, it was really, really clunky with like iMovie. You'd have to sort of have your one timeline and then you cut and paste a movie and in between. But with like, I know with Final Cut Pro and with um, Premiere Pro, you have basically you can you can have like multicam streams, and you have what's what the output is, and you have like the three or four or X amount of cameras, and you basically assign each one to a key. And as you're watching it, you can sort of toggle in between them, like one, two, three, four, and it will actually change. So it's sort of in theory you could just watch it once and you have your editing, but um, you can always obviously go back and refine it. And what, what's cool about this podcasting software that I'm using. Zencaster is that it has like you can buy or have like pre-processing hours where actually it uses AI to figure out when to switch the cameras so that episode I did recently or even this one that that Zencaster will work out when to have the, either two people talking or even before I start speaking it switches the camera so it's more of a natural lead in um, it's just it's amazing what you can do with technology because that that would take me pure like three or four hours to do that manually but when I when I download it from Zencaster it's already pro to process so it's great for podcasting you know right yeah it's pretty amazing well another problem too 
you know, since we're, we're so low budget, so all the cameras we use are different brands, different. So the coloring is uh, a little different. You know, you can tell when we switch cameras, but mm-hmm. on Filmora, they have a pretty much just a color matching um, button where you just highlight the, the clips that you want to match and it'll do mm-hmm. it automatically for you, which, you know, a year ago they didn't have that. And I think it's a pretty, pretty amazing tool. You know, you don't have to go in manually now and mess with the colors. So how, how would you do that manually? Would you have to look at the color curves and try and... Try to match it, yep. yep. But then, I just then have again, the, yeah. I just have, you know, both footages up, the one I want to match and the one I'm working on, and I would just try to get it as close as I can manually, you know. And you could, you could be so, like, you could develop some kind of nervous, like, compulsive disorder, man, just to... Just to <laughs> How many times you want to re- review the same thing again and again, you know? Right. Well, that's why, man, Dark Covenant, we filmed in October. This was October of 20. I didn't I didn't release the episode till February. Mm-hmm. And, it, I, man, I was just, at that point, I was like, screw it. I don't care if there's any more mistakes. <laughs> I'm just done. I'm done. It is what it is. This is the best it's going to be. So, you know. Yeah. I heard of the story of one of my friends that, before he came to London to work as a programmer, he was working on um, pair. Maybe they didn't have a proper green screen or something like that, but basically there's some of these people's jobs are to go into like frame by frame to make the, um, the backgrounds manually alpha so that <laughs> you're basically every single hair and everything like that. You're, you're basically abstracting the, the alpha away. So they, <laughs> that's, that's, that's labor. Right? That's, that takes a better man than me to do that kind of work. Yeah, yeah. I haven't had much luck with green screen. I mean, I can get it so it looks okay, but I, I haven't been able to get it where it looks like that person is actually there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you can always tell, especially in, like, the 90s movies, you can tell, oh, that guy's in front of green screen. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and I'm I'm still at that point right now where I can't get it, the coloring, exactly right, where you can't tell that person you know, is in front of a green yeah. screen. I mean, I bought a, bought a green screen for to play with the podcast, but this app that I'm using, Camel, doesn't have a function at the moment where you can use a green screen. So I'm just trying to, every, every time I'm traveling quite a lot, so I just have to, uh, but it's okay. I've got a little, I use my iPhone 11 Pro here. I don't use my webcam. That's really helped the quality of the podcast. I've got my traveling arm here. I've got my bashed up road mic that's done its, done a few few podcasts with it, you know, so, but uh, I mean, I, I really want to break into the creative industries, you know, and I call podcasting a creative industry, but I just, just need sponsors to be honest. Um, but I mean, sorry, I'm a, I'm a software developer, but it's not, I don't want to be a programmer all my life. Definitely yeah. not. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting, moving pixels and testing on different browsers, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we created the channel to, to host Dark Covenant and then I had a partner. He was, uh, he's active duty Coast Guard and after the hurricane, he really he said he didn't have time to work with me anymore. So I took over the YouTube channel in July and I just been really pushing it just to get a presence, you know, online presence out there. And, um, it would be nice to get an extra stream of money, you know, just from people watching your content. Mm-hmm. So, so you, I guess now, now a lot of times is, is basically, trying to find investors for a project. Is there anything you can share about that process or is that very niche and very, you know, company secret stuff? No, it's not, no secret. If you know the secret, let me know. Uh, 
that's the rub. That seems buy to be tes- the rub. Buy Tesla, you know, when it was ten dollars twenty uh-huh. years ago or something. <laughs> there's right, your measure money. Right. No, I mean, uh, so let's take Star of Africa for example. I mean, that's a probably a fifty million dollar film at least with all the uniforms and the special effects for the World War II planes and you know the actors involved, the number of extras, locations. I mean, someone with money has to love it and just like it. You know, they have to be in love with the story to go all in on something like that, you know. So it's hard. It's hard. That That's why I've been just doing a low-budget stuff um, with the hopes to do a feature myself. And again, when I do the feature, it's going to be low-budget. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, maybe 20000 that that that's it with the hopes that someone will like my work. And so then the next one I can do an actual high budget or higher budget film, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, everyone, everyone has their sort of definition of low budget. So I know watching some of Kevin Sorbo's work, his, his budget will be something like two or 3 million. Mm-hmm. And that for him is, is hard to work with because, you know, he'll, he'll say something like, um, like a Marvel movie, the catering budget is two or 3 million. So, it's different economies of scale, you know, like one person's low budget is one person's high budget, you know? Right. Well, I know, like you said, he was filming in Canada and there's big tax breaks and tax incentives for filming there too. So, I mean, that would be a option for me if I ever had the opportunity to maybe film in Canada or someplace like that, you know? Mm-hmm. What, what about Europe? Anywhere in Europe or, or Asia? Would that be attractive for filmmaking? Uh, maybe pre-COVID, but I don't think post-COVID, No. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess if you have a $100 million budget, you can maybe save money by going to places like that. But not me at this time. It would not be cost-effective to do something. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I look at some of these movies where they have, like, so many extras. Like, you got you got to wonder, are some of these people paid? Because, like, that opening in one of those scenes, uh, World War Z, which is, um, they've got this space, I don't know, this massive square of people running around and, like who is who is on the payroll in that movie? Are, are they are they actually doing like an ad that says come and start a movie for free, and then like a thousand people turn up, and then they maybe have like a hundred of them that are paying for it? I mean, they can't all be paying a thousand people eighty pound a day just to run about, or maybe they are. I don't know. Well, I would I have to watch it again. It's been a while since I watched the movie, but I'm willing to bet a lot of those people were um, CGI'd in. I bet you they weren't even real people. Really. <laughs> I know for sure when they're climbing the the wall like that, those are all uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. CGI people. So uh, that's commitment, you know, like jumping right. off the wall. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. that's CGI. Right. Yeah, uh, something 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 funny. But I don't know, why why do people have a fascination with like destruction and zombies and like because like if you imagine it, if something like that happened, it would maybe be exciting for the first like hour. And then basically you're in uh, bear girl survival mode for the rest of the time, trying to get food and, you know, shelter and, you know, the people, I don't know what is the fascination with zombies and excitement. It is like, are we, are we as humans excited for our own destruction? Is like, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Uh, One of my favorite shows used to be the walk. I mean, the walking dead. So I was one of those people. Um, yeah, but you're right. It would be fun maybe <laughs> at first or exciting. And then after that, it would be boring. You know, no power. You got to hunt every day. It would probably be terrible. So, 
why yeah. anybody would want that, I don't know. And for some reason, the, the openings of those films are sort of the most exciting for me, like the first like five or ten minutes of World War Z and then of um, Will Smith's one. It's quite interesting. The, the, the actual, not, not even this, the zombies, the, the whole like virus thing and the whole spread of the thing. For me, it's just fascinating. Um, except now we're looking at it through a different lens. Now it's right. real life, like, um, yeah, I won't go into that because if, I, if anyone wants to what I know, I believe that's something else in other podcasts. But <clears throat> so um, I'm in Ukraine right now, and the most uh, most thing I'm concerned about is is what what do I do if Belarus and Russia invade? You know, it's, it's people are people are asking me like, is this World War Three? You know, like like I, I have a good answer for that. Yes, maybe read the Book of Revelation if you're a believer or the Quran. You know, like <laughs> if, you, if they both have apple up. Apocalyptics, you know. Yeah, we we could be we could be in the end times. Uh, we'll we'll see the next couple months with all these uh, new variants popping up. We'll see what happens. Yeah, Kevin Kevin Sorbo's basically filming. Well, he's not filming. He's he's, he's, act, he's acting, isn't he? I think on the Left Behind got a lead role in that. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. That's gonna be fun to watch. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't uh, really care for the Nicolas Cage version. Seems like uh, he he wasn't all in. Like he, he didn't seem too enthused about playing playing that role. <laughs> so ho- hopefully Kevin brings more uh, life into it. I can't even remember to be honest. Um, yeah, I I have a different. You know, do you think there's a pre-trib or a post-trib rapture? Uh, say again. Do you think the rapture will happen before the Antichrist happens or after? Uh, well, I think we're we're gonna go through dark times and then like really bad with with the virus gonna get worse and the natural disasters and then the antichrist will come as the guy who's gonna save us. Mm-hmm. That's what I believe is gonna happen. Because there's a passage in Matthew that talks about the the signs of the times. I think war is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously. We've seen war a lot, but it's like a combination of everything happening at once that's just going to be kind of unique. So there's earthquakes, there's wars, and rumors of wars, um, and other stuff that happens as well. There's going to be like inflation that comes at once, plagues. There's a four, four, basically the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That would be a fun movie to make, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah, or, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I'm cynical of, of, you know, a lot of people say, well, the end is coming. But, you know, if you were uh, a Jew in, in the concentration camp in World War II, you, you probably yeah. thought it was the apocalypse. You know, um, I think a lot of things are cyclical um, and we're just going through another cycle. I hopefully I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I'm a Christian. So if God wants to take me, I'm ready to go. But I, I don't know if this is necessarily the, the end. There's been times that's been a lot worse. I mean, the Black Plague was much worse than Corona. You know, mm-hmm. um, was that global event? Every was every continent affected by that? Uh, Europe and Asia. I, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure about the Americas. Um, yeah, I don't know what was going on in the Americas during that time. But mm-hmm. I mean, a third of the the global population died supposedly. So you know. A third, yeah. Far, far worse than what's going on now. So, 
It's um, if you were like, it's going to be interesting looking back fifty years from now on the sort of semi-social experiments that are happening in, in like countries like Austria, where you have the first like vaccine mandate since uh, nineteen forty-eight, I believe, with the the, po- the smallpox vaccine, where it was um, allowed. But now we have a situation where you have, uh, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but you know, depends on what age you're at. But we'll see if you're, you know, over sixty, there's like a, I don't know, or seventy, there's like a 05 percent chance of dying. But now we have a, a we don't, we don't, we're, un, we're in uncharted territory. We'd never had a vaccine mandate like this in a modern country. Um, there has been other countries, sort of smaller countries around the world, like I think Turkmenistan has one, but this kind of like strongly controlled countries. But we have. You know, suppose the democracies where we have vaccine mandate in Austria. Um, I'm in Austria a lot of the time. Um, Jeremy talking about mandatory max vaccines, and uh, even when I was talking, I was talking to Colin in the podcast a few a few weeks ago, where we were like comparing the COVID policies with like the Third Reich. But this is upper level, and we haven't, we don't know what, we don't actually know what. I mean, some kind of sick people in the head would watch this with like excitement to see and enjoy what's going to play out but it's it's in a sense we're living in a social experiment right now Mm -hmm. Um, yeah i agree um what's shocking to me is australia i would never think that a country like that would be acting the way you know a police state the the way what's going on over there is just crazy to me yeah i mean i don't think we've lived in a time where people like many to myself have felt threatened by the government like they have you know, it almost feels like the government is just, just turned, almost turned, turned uh, scary. Just these people in power now. It's, it's, uh, it's too much, too quick. Because this, this has turned into the Corona section of the podcast, hasn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much this we moved away from about. film. I don't. I, want, I don't want to wreck your future career. You know, if you want to get into Hollywood, it's like you got it. You got to like. Agree with everything people say, but I probably just... you, you might have to edit this part out. I don't know. I don't care. It's up to you, mate. It's up to you. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't say it. I'm the one who brought it up. So, like, but anyway, cool, man. Cool. So, is there anything you wanted? You want to talk about before we finish this part one? Uh no, man. I think we covered a lot of things. I mean, um, I'd appreciate it if you plug my channel. That way, people can check out my content. Um, got dark covenant i got a soul reaper and then the new project doomsday chronicles cool so what where do people um what's the name of the youtube channel uh 10th legion pictures 10th legion pictures oh yeah you did the intro for the um start of africa pitch for that that movie i believe yeah um, yeah oh man I, I ripped it man i ripped off the, the soundtrack for that <laughs> yeah i was supposed to give you the link but i couldn't find it because i was actually switched computers um and i lost what it was but i know it was um copyright free music so 10th legion pictures just typing that yeah. youtube now that got you well you've got you've you've your subscribers have jumped yeah yeah what what happened man i paid a guy to help me with seo so nice Oh, you've got the shorts in there. Have you got the full shorts or do they have to go somewhere else to watch the, the full? Nope, everything's on there. Nice, man. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be binging on your content and uh, I, I should have watched, to be honest, I'm a bit lazy as a podcast host. I should have watched all those videos before we did this show. <laughs> oh, no worries. No worries. All right. Brian, well, thanks very much, Michael, for your time and uh, we'll catch you on 
again on Nico's show. Hey, thank you, Nico. It's been a pleasure talking to you, man. You too, mate. Thanks very much. All right.